You're listening to Wholesaling Inc., episode number 499. Mm-hmm. And so for those of you who are trying to focus like on a very specific neighborhood, try to think of ways that you can add value to them without just trying to sell them, without just trying to get their deals. If you can think of ways that you're actually adding value to them, because everybody wants to know what their house is worth. It doesn't matter if it's a rental property, their personal property, whatever. They want to know, what is my house worth? This is game-changing information guaranteed to raise your real estate wholesaling business with actionable steps you can take immediately to navigate the ins and outs of wholesaling and start making money today. Join us as we put our guests in the hot seat and dive deep to dissect their strategies for success to enable you to duplicate their results. You're listening to Wholesaling Inc., the only show dedicated to making you a fortune in wholesaling. You're listening to the Wholesaling Inc. podcast. I'm your host, Lauren Hardy. And if this is your first time tuning into our podcast, I want to welcome you. We talk all things real estate investing, wholesaling, and specifically, I like to focus on virtual wholesaling. Today, we have an awesome guest. He's a good friend of mine. His name is Curtis Coopersmith. And I met Curtis in Oklahoma. I actually, that is my market. I'm in Oklahoma. And uh, Curtis and I know each other because we, you know, we're both in the business. So Curtis, I asked him to come on our show today because he is amazing with sales. And he's amazing with negotiating off-market deals with sellers at very good discount. So I wanted to pick his brain a little bit about seller negotiation. You know, how does he handle his seller leads? I wanted to get really micro about it. You know, how does he talk to sellers? What's his script? What does he say? How does he get these good deals? So this episode is going to be jam-packed with tons of practical information. Curtis, how are you doing? I'm good. How are you today? I'm good. I'm good. Thanks for coming on. Thanks for having me. I'm excited. Awesome. Well, we've known each other for a while. We have, I mean, you and me, I feel like every time we get on the phone, we just blab and blab and talk. I know. We end up talking for way too long every time. Every time. It's going to be good. So Curtis, tell us about yourself. So I'm originally from Kansas and I moved to Oklahoma City in 2012, I believe. And so right around the time that I moved here, I ended up getting into real estate. I got my real estate license here because when I was 19, I bought my first house in Texas. And it was kind of a fluke deal. Um, It was a lady I worked with, went through a divorce. She got the house and she was just basically telling me she just wanted to get rid of it. And I didn't know anything about real estate, but I knew that this was like really cheap. And so I ended up going to like every little bank in town the next day and begging them for money. And this old man who was the president of that bank, he was like, look, I can't give you a loan through the bank. You don't have any credit. You have nothing. But I believe in you. I'll give you a personal loan. So I got a personal loan from this guy, bought this house. It was two bed, two bath on four acres and it had a barn. And I had a horse at the time. So it worked out really well. And my payment was $263. And so I was like, when I first got it, I was like, hell yeah, this is the cheapest place I've ever lived. This is awesome. And then I read Rich Dad, Poor Dad, and that just like messed my whole world up. And so I put my house up for lease on Craigslist, didn't really think anybody would call. And the next day, like my phone blew up. And so I leased that house for $1,200 a month. 
So I'm thinking like, oh my gosh, this is why people like rental properties. I'm making a thousand dollars a month on this house. Like not realizing that that's like not very common, but um, that's how I got into it. And then I moved to Oklahoma. And uh, when I moved here, I wanted to buy houses here. And so I got my license just to get into rental properties. And so I started out just like as an individual agent selling people's personal properties And then fast forward a few years, I started a real estate investment firm with a partner about three years ago. And I actually sold out of that company at the end of last year. And so I stayed on until this spring and then worked my way out of that company. And now I'm basically just, I do a lot of sales training. I'm still doing a little bit of real estate here and there, still buying properties for myself and really just... I'm doing a a lot of different things right now. It's I'm at a weird place in my life where like I have the freedom to try different things that I've wanted to do for a while. And so everything that I'm doing goes back to sales because that's like what I love and it's what I'm good at. And so I'm just trying a bunch of different things and I'm just really enjoying it. Well, and that's why I wanted to talk to you because I know from your previous company... You guys were major players. I mean, I knew who you guys were before you knew who I was. I knew your name, you know? Yeah. And I was like, this guy, I, I've got to know this guy. And eventually we started talking. And I knew by how your deal volume that you crush it in sales. I mean, you obviously have a ton of really good, you know, nuggets that you could share with us. Yeah. So how many deals, you know, on average were you doing a year? And these are wholesale deals, right? The last year, yeah, they're... They're sort of wholesale deals. It's kind of a mixture. It was a weird... We did a pretty different like dynamic of our business ran. But last year, we closed 227 units. Dang. Uh, and then the year before that, it was uh, just a little under 200. So those were our first full years actually running that business. And we primarily focused on rental properties. So helping people purchase uh, cash flowing properties. So that's... I did a lot of that is what I focused on was either distressed properties that you could fix up in cash flow or properties that were currently cash flowing that they could buy and just start cash flowing immediately. So you were marketing direct to seller, right? Yeah. Yeah. Right. We were, you weren't we buying were, on the M- no MLS or anything really? No, no. Like I have my license, but we didn't, nothing was actually sold on the MLS. Everything was sold off market. So I primarily tried to focus on going after people that owned a lot of houses. Mm-hmm. So instead of just going to one-off people, I would try to find people that owned packages of houses. And so that way you're kind of like killing, you're getting a lot at once, mm-hmm. um, which was a huge help. And that comes with a lot of different pros and cons, but I did did a lot of that to try to help people offload packages, either one at a time or as a package. And I think that, there's like a misconception that, especially like in the wholesale world, that people think like, oh my gosh, that'd be amazing to get like this huge package of houses at one time. The challenge to it is that these people, either they want to sell all of them at one time to the same person and they still want a high price for them, mm-hmm. or they don't want to pay anything in the middle. Like they want such a high price that it's hard to get anything in the middle for you as the one selling them. Mm -hmm. And so there's a lot of different ways to like work through like what their motivation is, how to get the prices down, that kind of stuff. And we can get into that as we go on, but that was primarily what I focused on. 
Right. So it's like you kind of had a niche with the seller avatar that you had. I mean, you weren't going after the foreclosure list or the tax delinquent. It was probably purely the absentee owners list, but you were focusing a second layer of focus is they probably had to own two or more properties. Yeah. And so what were you doing to market to those people? Direct mail. I mean, that's literally, uh, I mean, we started to get a lot more referrals as stuff went on, but direct mail was really the main, which I, I, I know a lot of people do that, but it's just doing direct mail correctly, I think is the biggest thing that, you know, you get people that don't like, that say they don't like direct mail. It is expensive. It's very expensive to do, but if done correctly, it can work. It can work really well for you. So tell me a little bit about that. Tell me, tell me, how do we do it directly? Or correctly, (laughs) directly, directly. I think it just depends on what your goal is. But making them as personal as possible is very helpful. I don't personally like postcards until I've mailed to that list for a few times. So like even before I started the previous company, I had always, I farmed neighborhoods. And so what I would do is I would like hyper-focus on a neighborhood. And so in that one particular neighborhood, I would send them either market updates telling them like, hey, your houses, you know, these are the houses that have sold in the last nine, you know, 90 days or whatever, to where like you're educating them instead of just trying to sell them constantly. Mm -hmm. And so for those of you who are trying to focus like on a very specific neighborhood, try to think of ways that you can add value to them without just trying to sell them, without just trying to get their deals if you can think of ways that you're actually adding value to them, because everybody wants to know what their house is worth. It doesn't matter if it's a rental property, their personal property, whatever. They want to know, what is my house worth? They want to know if it's going up, going down, et cetera. And so you don't have to get like so hyper-focused where you're sending them like, hey, these are the houses that sold in the last 90 days. But if you can do something that's adding value to them, that's making them think like, oh, this guy or girl knows what they're talking about because they're consistently sending me mail. And then the other thing is just consistently doing it. Like I've talked to a lot of people who are like, yeah, I mailed, I sent letters for two months and I never got anything. There's a lot of times that it's going to take you mailing them three to four or five times before they finally reach out. And at that point, they're either going to reach out and say they're interested or they're going to reach out and say, take me off your freaking mailing list. Yeah. Like they don't want to get your, your letters anymore, but they're going to reach out to you eventually. Just don't be afraid to keep hitting them because it takes time. And I know that mailing costs a lot of money. And so people don't want to hear that, that like you're going to have to consistently keep doing it, but you have to consistently keep sending them um, in order to start getting some of those leads if you're going to go the direct mail route. I feel like, do you read Dan Kennedy? Dan Kennedy? Yeah. Oh, GKIC. Yeah, I love this. So I I did too. I used to be really big into direct mail. And I remember he would say, always offer something for free on your mail piece, which is the value that you're talking about. So what I used to do, and it wasn't even, it didn't take much. I literally wrote the sentence in bold. And I would say, call for a free property evaluation. Yeah. That was it. I just gave it because I'm not an appraiser. So I can't say property appraisal, but I would say property, you know, evaluation. And that was just the free thing I'm offering. And it would get them to call me over, you know, the next guy that sent direct mail. So that is a quick tip. You guys offer something for free. And uh, Dan Kennedy is a, he's all about direct mail. So he's got some good books on it. It is. It's his stuff is really good. And I think too, that like, if you're adding value like that to them, 
even if you're trying to wholesale the deal, my philosophy has always been to be overly transparent with people. Mm -hmm. And so the more transparent I can be, it makes me stand out because there's so many other wholesalers who are just slime bags. And it's like, they're trying to like hide stuff from people. Mm -hmm. And when you're trying to hide stuff from people, like they can feel that, like you're not being genuine, you're not being real. And so in line with like being transparent, it's like, I would tell people like, Hey, say it's going to be a wholesale deal that it's a flip and it's in bad shape. Like I would tell them, Hey, once I update this house, this house is probably going to be worth X. So if you want to do that to this house, I think it's probably going to cost you, you know, 30 to 40,000. So you could go in, put all this money in, and then this is what you're going to resell on the back end. Or I can buy it for this, and then this is what you're going to make. And you don't have to worry about putting in all that time and effort. But it's like if you're giving people options, it makes them feel like you're not forcing them into a decision. It's like, these are your options. You choose what you want to do. And then they feel more confident in that decision going forward. So yeah, it might come back to bite you, but nine times out of 10, people aren't going to want to put all that money and effort and time into it, or they wouldn't be calling you in the first place. So by just being transparent with them up front, you're making them feel more empowered to make a decision instead of this is my only option. This is what I have to do because this is the only thing this guy can do for me. I couldn't agree with you more. I almost feel like we must have like taken the same sales training or read the same books because we have a very similar style, which is very not pushy. Mm -hmm. It's not like the always be closing style of sales. It's actually more of like, hey, I'm just going to be honest and lay all my cards on the table and take it or leave it. I'm not going to push you to do anything you don't want to do. Here's my number. If you you know want to think about it, like no pressure sales. So I'm very similar. I think one thing that you know a lot of students struggle with, uh, my students and just the coaching students I have and whatnot, is like delivering a lowball offer to a seller. So okay. you get you know we talked about how you're getting these you know sellers to call you. These are savvy sellers who have multiple rental properties, so they know a bit about real estate even more than maybe other sellers you would get. How do you deliver your offer? And usually your offer is obviously not a market price offer. So how do you, is there a way that you say it? So like when I'm first talking to them and I'm getting information about their property, I will ask them, you know, hey, do you have an idea of what it's worth? And as we know, sellers always think their house is worth way more than what it is. Mm -hmm. But at the beginning, I'm asking them like, hey, you know, what shape, like how old are the major mechanicals? How old is the roof? Have you done any plumbing or electric updates to it? That kind of stuff. And in asking them that at the end of it, when I ask them that price, you're like, hey, what do you think it's worth? I'll say, if you were the one buying this house, what would you be willing to pay for it? Oh, that is good. And so then it makes them think of it as like, oh, yeah, if I was buying it, like I'm thinking about all the money I have to put into it. And it almost like makes them think through like, as not a seller, but as a buyer coming to buy it, because the same sellers who are like, I want the highest price possible for my house, when they're buyers, they want the lowest price possible. And so it's like it flips that switch in their head. It makes them think of like, if I'm the one buying it, I'm not going to want to pay that much. 
And so when usually when I ask them that, like they'll kind of like laugh or they'll like, like you can tell that they're like, oh crap, like you're making me think in a different way. But even if they're like, well, I would, I would pay that. Like, I'll just kind of laugh back with them. And I'm like, oh, come on. I know if you were buying it, you're going to want a low price on it and blah, blah, blah. And then it kind of, if nothing else, it builds rapport to where they're laughing with you because it feels like so many times when a seller lead reaches out to you, their guard is up immediately. Mm-hmm. And it's like, they feel like this is a battle between me and you yeah. right off the bat. So like, they want to set that precedence. And so like, I want to get their guard down immediately as right. fast as I possibly can in any way I want to get their guard down because my philosophy is that sales all comes back to trust. Mm-hmm. So if they trust me, that is the most important part of the whole thing. And if I have trust with them, it's way easier to deliver a lower price because they trust me. And they don't think of me as just some slimy dude who sent them a mailer. I have rapport with them. They trust me and they feel like, okay, this is probably right. But to go back to the original question as well, like besides just like little one-off things, I think that if you're offering them different options, that makes it way easier to deliver a lowball price because I would tell them like, hey, this is what I'm looking at. I ran numbers on it. Just use simple math. Like the ARV, once I update this house, is going to be $100,000. Is that kind of what you think it's worth? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's kind of what I think it's worth. Okay, how much in repairs do you think this house needs? Well, I think it just needs blah, blah, blah. And you try to get them to give you a number. And so like if say that they agreed that the house is worth 100000 and they say it probably needs $30,000 in work, then you're helping them like do that math in their head. And so it's like, hey, I can pay $25,000 for it because once I pay for the rehab, once I pay for my holding costs, pay for this, like I'm only making X and then they can see that. So I feel like if you're offering, a, if you're sending them a lowball offer, instead of just coming straight out and saying, hey man, you're, I can only give you 25,000 for your house. Help them see how you got to that $25,000 number so they don't feel like so left in the dark And they may not say yes right off the bat, but it's at least going to give them something to think about to where they can also come back to think of themselves as a buyer. Mm -hmm. And then it's like, they're going to call you back the next couple of days and, you know, then you can start working through it. But making them understand how you got to that number makes it a lot easier for them to be willing to take a lower bit, a lower offer. Yeah. I mean, I loved your style and I feel like I can never remember this book, but I feel like you had to have read it. Have you read some sales books? Yeah. Which one? There is this book and it's... I don't know why. The guy clearly was not good at marketing because he sucked at naming his book because I can never remember the name, but it's a good sales book. It was like talks about the croc brain and that you talked about they're always on the defense because they've got their guard up. And it talks about the croc brain and like that they're primitive. But they're, it's not never still the difference. And they're, they're primitive in their thinking. So when you first talk to a seller, it's primitive. They have a primitive response to you. They've got yeah. their guard up. So like you making that joke, like, well, what would you pay? That broke down their guard a little bit. 
I, every time I recommend, I literally always want to recommend this book and then I can never think of the name. I can't think of what it is either, but yeah, everything you're saying. I feel like I'll find out and I'm going to text you like, was, did you know this? Because I swear we have like the exact same style. Like literally, you literally sound like me talking to sellers. The (laughs) only thing is I don't say an amount because I lived in California and I was, when I, at the time when I was really heavy into direct mail and seller negotiation, I was a house flipper in California. And then I went virtual and did it in lower price states. In California, it is very hard to spit out. I'm only making $40,000 on this flip. Like only. Like, yeah, yeah, real hard to say. So instead I would say percentages because they're savvy. Most, you know, California sellers were pretty savvy and they understood as investors, like, well, listen, Mr. Seller, like, you know, what do you expect to get in the stock market? Like, you know, you expect like the average, you know, stock market returns are 10%. Mm -hmm. I'm just, you know, I'm buying a piece of real estate that could have all sorts of, you know, liabilities attached to it. You know, I'm just looking to get 12%, you know, return. And like, they hear that and they're like, oh, okay, she's not that good. She's not that greedy. She's not really trying to rip me off here. I flip it and say percentages instead, which might even work better too when you're in a market that's lower end because yeah, 10% of a you know, $100,000 house is only $10,000. Yeah. And that does sound a lot better than saying 10,000. 10% sounds a lot lower. Exactly. I mean, for me, I really, I was really passionate. I mean, still am very passionate about sales and direct to seller um, conversations and things that you say. And I used to think about, so anytime a seller would like throw shade at me, like anytime a seller would, would like get mad at something I said or chew me out or even just where it seemed awkward in the conversation, I would make a mental note, write it down. And then I would go, what is a better way to say that? So I don't get that response out of the seller anymore. So maybe call me a big fat people pleaser, but like that is what (laughs) you're doing, right? I mean, whatever, whatever makes you like helps you like whatever makes the seller like you more than your competition, right? Because at the end of the day, there's so many investors that have paid the same price you would, but they like you. Exactly. Yes. They, they like you. And I think that it comes down and you said trust to me. It's just like, they like me. And they building like rapport in general, like right. just getting them to talk about things. And also like if it's an absentee owner, even whether, you know, it's a rental property or not, I always want to know what their motivation is. So it's like, what made you call me today? Like, why are you thinking about selling the house? And for anybody listening, that's done very much work with sellers. like. Oh, well, I don't really need to sell it. I don't, I don't have to. I mean, I'm just thinking about it. Unless you got like a really distressed seller that's like, they don't know what the heck they're doing. And they're just like, oh, I lost my job. and I need to get rid of this immediately and yeah. whatever. But nine times out of 10, if they're savvy at all, they're going to tell you, I don't really need to sell it. I'm just, I'm kind of sick of having a rental house or, you know, I'm just thinking about it, whatever. But like, I want to drill down on that motivation. Like if they say, I'm just kind of sick of being a landlord, that's not direct enough. What are you sick of? What are you sick of dealing with? Is your tenant not paying? Is you have like too many repairs in the house? And also in finding your motivation, you're going to find out a lot about the house too. Right. Because sometimes the motivation lies in the home. The house, he's not motivated, but the house needs a lot of work. Yep. So it's the condition that is the motivation. 
Yep. Um, so I know, again, back to sort of what is a way to say this? Because I noticed that when I would say, so why are you selling? It would put their wall back up and they would get on the defense. So the way I would ask it, as I would say, so what were your plans with this home originally when you bought it? And Ooh, hear what they really say. Right. Yeah. And it leads into, oh, really? Okay, so but you were this, this, then this. Oh, then what happened next? Mm-hmm. Oh, and then and then it leads them to then say, but then my tenants stop paying rent. <laughs> it's like they they like accidentally say it. Like it's like it's just mind games. Like <laughs> yeah. get them to like show me their cards. Yeah. Um, so I say it like that because I felt like the why I always felt weird in my stomach when I would say, so why are you selling? It would make me feel weird asking. Like mm-hmm. I would feel almost like, gosh, that's a personal question. I mean, I, I don't know if that's like very like British of me, but like I don't like to be. You know, just very, like, just very blunt like that. Like, yeah. so, like it seems nosy. Uh-huh. So I try to say it in like a very like non-nosy kind of way. That's really good. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. Which, what were your original plans with the house? And then that way they can tell you like, well, I wanted to do this, but then this happened. And then you're going to find out the real truth really quickly. They'll, they'll spill the beans. And then I always like to say, when I'm, you know, trying to explain this because that is their pain button. Uh-huh. And you want to, after that, once you've identified what their pain button is, you put that in your CRM and you just push that pain button every time you talk to them. <laughs> and the way I push the pain button is through storytelling. So I will talk about how I had that pain button. Like, you know, but I'll say, oh, I remember when I had to do an eviction and... Oh man, you know, like, and you just kind of story tell. And I could usually whip one of these stories out because I've done enough transactions that like I can kind of come up with something of where I went through something similar or a seller I knew went through something similar. Because I could say too, oh, I worked with another seller, had the same issue. You're not alone on that. I've seen it before. No worries. We deal with this kind of stuff all the time. And then also like kind of coming up with supporting like, how you can solve that problem, that pain and make that pain button go away from them. Yes. And finding out like, it kind of goes back to what you were saying with the, what was your original goal with the house? Another question on top of that, like after that is like, what is your goal with the house now? And so it's like, if they have a number in mind, that's like, well, I want to net 25,000. I want to get rid of it as fast as possible. Whatever that is, Mm -hmm. when you kind of going back to presenting a lower offer, if what you're offering gets close to or does meet their goal, then it's like, hey, your goal was to net 25,000 and my offer is netting you 25,000. So like, what is keeping you from moving forward with that right now if we're meeting your goal? Because remember, this was your goal. And so you're tying everything back to their goal or their pain at the end of the day, because like what will happen is, they will think like, you know, somebody else will tell them, well, I can give you X amount, which is 10,000 higher than what you can do. So then they start kind of getting greedy. But like, if your number is still meeting their goal, then it's like, did your goal change? Or like, what is happening between now and then that you're not taking my offer? Yeah, no, that's good. That's good. We've got some good stuff here. I know. I, I feel know. like we are dropping some seriously good content on. Sales. I know. 
I mean, you are really, honestly, really great at sales. I, I mean, your deal flow and volume, you know, last couple of years shows it. I know on your, your, yeah, well, I, I mean, I know that there's a no brainer. I knew you were good at sales just by having a conversation with you. You know, you, you're very likable and I was the most good salesman are very likable. Um, so how can people get a hold of you? Are you active on the socials? Yeah, I'm actually like more active on Facebook, but I post on Instagram too. So my name is spelled really weird. Uh, my first name's easy. It's Curtis, C-U-R-T-I-S. And my last name is K-U-P-F-E-R-S-M-I-T-H. And my website's the same thing too. It's just my full name.com. Awesome. I'll include it in the show notes. So you guys, if you want to talk to Curtis, happy to talk to you guys, give you some sales advice. Curtis, thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me. This is awesome. I'm, I, I liked it a lot. It was fun. Awesome. We'll have to do it again. You really did deliver. So we'll have to do like a, a 2.0 to this soon. Okay, good. I'd love to. If you guys want to learn more about virtual real estate investing, check out my program at www.wholesalinginc.com slash virtual. Thanks again. Have a great day. That's all for this episode. Your next step to success is to continue the conversation over at wholesalinginc.com by joining the mailing list, as well as get your chance to book a strategy session to learn the systems and become part of the tribe and work personally with one of our amazing coaches. We'll see you next episode with more ways to make you a fortune in wholesaling.